Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. economics uh you know with anthony chief economist great ways zach strickland head of freight market intelligence uh haven't been live together in over a month yeah it's been a long time you were out, out in italy you're yeah. tripping then i went to houston then a little bit in dallas and then orlando stop in miami Almost Toronto, then came back from Washington, D.C., made it to Chattanooga, so... Very topical we're because good. of what we're going to discuss on t- today's show. All this world traveling, uh, domestic traveling, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, I think it's, you know, this is something that, you know, seeing the state of how everything is connected in the world, like the global globalization, and now we're going into deglobalization, as yeah. people are calling it, uh, where supply chains are de-risking, um, diversification, uh, however you want to put it, state it. It's all kind of attuned to the same thing. Like, you know, unfortunately, we've got a couple of wars going on. This is We're, we're seeing this like resurgence of kind of violence yeah, yeah. In, in, in the world. And, you know, I think COVID is, you know, unfortunately pick that off, like put things in motion that really injected a ton of energy into the global economies. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of knee jerk reactions. We're seeing these corrective maneuvers. Some of them, you know, I don't think anybody would say de-risking is bad in itself, but some of the corrective or the, the reactions may actually be harmful in the long run. And that's, that's, that's the topic that we're going to try to broach today. And I think that's a great point because when you think about the energy that went into COVID, there was mm-hmm. a great mobilization around the world. And then with that came a lot of emotion and feelings and people got behind something and you were either on one side or another. Mm-hmm. And that's been a thing in the U.S. for a while. It's no middle ground. You're either left all the way or right all the way. And then if you're in the middle, you're, you're called indecisive and you're not in touch or whatever it might be. But or you just check out and say, hey, I don't care about this. You know, <laughs> I'm just going to go somewhere in the middle of the mountains of Montana and just enjoy myself. But I think that energy definitely flowed into other aspects of whenever there is something on the media, whenever there is something happening within the world, a lot of eyes are on it and it's just immediately have a stance, have a strong reaction, a strong reaction to one way or strong reaction to the other way. That's been it with the supply chain. The pendulum always swings back and forth and also with consumer activity and government activity. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, nobody's nobody's immune. You cannot hide from this. Uh, if you exist in the world, it's it's going to get you uh, at some point. You've got to you've got to at least recognize that it's happening. Uh, so without further ado, Anthony, we haven't had a market. Oh, update. Mar- I almost forgot that we do that. <laughs> uh, let's go through. Let you Count me in. Let's yeah. get it started. Freight market update in three or freight market in two. Yeah. And three, two, one, go. First chart I want to pull up our tender rejection index, regardless of what demand is doing right now, it's still 
very, very low. We had a little bit of a hiccup there, but nothing to see here really in terms of overall uh, pressure on rates. Rates are still on the floor, look like they still have downward pressure on them, even though they're not as responsive as we might have expected them to be with rejection rates this low. Uh, but capacity is still relatively abundant in the market. Anytime the rejection rate is below 5%, really below 6% historically, there's just not a lot of upward momentum on rates. There's not enough, there's sufficient capacity in the market. Let's go to the next one uh, and look at contract versus spot rates. We've got our contract freight uh, in white, the spot rate excluding a certain amount of fuel comparable to a fuel surcharge. Uh, so we can make an apples to apples comparison there in green. This is not changing. <laughs> and this is the biggest surprise to me even though I know that, you know, maybe there is a little bit of divergence in, in the mix in the spot market right now of a lot more desperation. Carriers are kind of uh, really just trying to keep backhauls alive, uh, utilization numbers where they can. They're not falling. So there is a floor here. So it, it isn't moving downward. But more surprisingly, contract rates are not falling. And again, we can apply this to seasonality, all we want, bid season. But the spread between these two figures is still at a historic level, meaning that there is still room uh, for it to fall. Let's go to the next chart. Uh, and it may yet fall, come up uh, here in the fall. Uh, authorities, uh, trucking authorities there in white. The green line is OTBI on a monthly basis. You can see that the capacity growth has been the story of the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Capacity, we've netted over 100,000 new operating authorities. That's not tractors. OTBI up about 17%. So you can see 50% growth in capacity, 17% growth in demand. Uh, I think you can do the math there. So Zach, essentially what you're saying is that there's still too much capacity on the road. Too much capacity. <laughs> and this is not a pure uh, figure to look at. This is not like a matchup of a one-to-one. -one. There's 50% mm. more capacity because these are operating authorities that I'm talking about. Right. This is They can be one, two, a thousand, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, plus trucks represented there. But the fact that we have seen the growth in operating authorities to this scale tells me that we're still a long way away. And Joe Antoshek uh, has done a decent little study. Uh, you know, if you're watching Freightwaves now the last week, uh, there, the, you know, his estimates are that we still have a good bit of room to move. I think about 10 to 15 percent, if I'm re uh, remembering correctly, over how much room because you're talking about, you know, it's always kind of a moving target when yeah. demand is fluctuating underneath it. You know, you never know exactly where that utilization figure is. He uh, theorizes that about a 90% utilization is where the market is in kind of its balanced state. Because you can't have an exact one-to-one because -one, yeah. the trucks aren't always where the freight needs to be. <laughs> um, and one of the things that kind of shocked me a little bit just kind of getting to speak with people and and hearing things on panels and different discussions is how many people don't know their rates that they need to have to be profitable yeah. and they just auto decline anything that's not a certain rate or auto accept anything that's another rate and just do like a peanut butter spread across the board to say all right i need x number per mile that's what it is in an up economy down economy that's just what i need without actually knowing what their needs are internally and so mm -hmm. this is interesting because i think this other weird aspect is how much capacity is still on the road and yeah. thinking about okay are these a lot of folks that are still just kind of we pull up that chart one more time because i think this really does a good job of kicking this discussion off a little bit so if you look at the green line that's otvi yeah look at how quick otvi jumped <laughs> see how slow 
the reaction was in the supply side with uh, the operating authorities relative to demand, that's kind of the story. So what you're seeing there is a lot of emotion. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion there. Anytime we see this kind of overheating or volatility and then this downward movement, there's a lot of emotion here. And I'm not saying that these numbers are emotional. I'm saying that humans become emotional as a response to this kind of violent shifting. Yeah. And, and it's such a reaction yeah. sometimes. It, it's, but I mean, it leads to poor decision making. Yeah. Or it leads to overreaction. Uh, it, it, and that's what we're seeing in the world. This is kind of like, it's funny because the freight market's kind of a microcosm. Uh, the domestic freight market has been kind of, for me, a microcosm of understanding what's going on globally. Yeah. And, and I think that's something to really think about uh, as we're moving forward because see how long we are away from hitting equilibrium? And the thing <laughs> is, it's like that long rise up and the, the, the decline looks like it, the pace is even slower compared to the, yeah. the increase. And so I think- Supply always moves slower than demand. And, it, and it's going to be something I think a lot of folks are going to- have that emotion and try to last as long as they can because at this point, everyone knows that the market's going to flip at a certain point in time. It's not going to stay down and low forever. But that rise up is, that's the inter interesting part. That's the, the grab where everyone's just trying to anticipate, okay, if I just can make it another week, if I can make it another month, if mm -hmm. I can make it to, into next quarter, I'm, I'm in the green here. I'm in the black. And so I think there's just so many people just holding out that, hey, more people are going to tap out. But that hasn't been the, the case yet. And I think people are going to start selling equipment and, and doing all these other I things. I think it's going to happen fast. Yeah. I think we are setting ourselves up for a quick shift in the market. Uh, yeah. And I think it's going to be violent. <laughs> well, there's just so many people holding out. And I think yeah. that's a big thing is that they're just holding out to see, hey, can I just make it a little bit longer? And I think that's what we've been seeing so far, because yeah. there's been so many expectations at the beginning of the year that the second half was going to be so much stronger. And then it just kind of persisted and was in this almost holding pattern. Yeah. So uh, that's a good segue into our newsonomics, where we've got a couple of stories where, uh, you know, Todd Maiden uh, covered a couple of things here. Some positive signs, but trucking market moves deeper into limbo. Uh, an interesting little take here. Uh, basically, LTL exit of yellow not having a huge impact on overall trucking. Inventories appear to still be correcting, but shippers are very hesitant to begin to reorder, to, at least to bring their inventories, you know, back up above where they are. Uh, they're really kind of trying to target maintaining versus a, you know, kind of this, I want to have a hedge <laughs> in my inventory level. They're really waiting on consumers to show them a sign that they're going to spend again. That's the interesting thing because we've seen consumer spending. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it's been on services. A lot of it's been on hospitality. A lot of it's been on leisure. And that's where we've seen some of the robustness or seemingly robustness in the labor market. Um, we're looking at job openings or ADP yeah. employment report. So much of it's going to be around leisure and hospitality. Right. And that's one of the big areas that's really kind of eroding their ability to spend on goods. Right. right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that's the other big thing is when we see the 
the lack of hesitancy when we had the Suez Canal drought earlier mm-hmm. on. Um, uh, uh, what was it? Panama. Su- Panama, Panama. Sorry. <laughs> Panama. Uh, was that three weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Um, around there? It's a month ago. A month ago? Over a month ago. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> um, there was just that lack of urgency mm-hmm. of, hey, we don't need, we can still just wait if we need to wait. We don't have to reroute this. We don't have to right. go by air. And I think that lack of urgency kind of showed the sentiment for retailers mm-hmm. what it would look like maybe this holiday season. Yeah. Uh, the next article uh, to hit on here, somewhat related, uh, analysts raise LTL estimates heading into Q3 reports. Now, this isn't necessarily based on the fact that freight market is going, it's getting better uh, in terms of overall demand. It's simply due to the fact that yellow is still being absorbed in the LTL space. Uh, Todd Maiden does a great job here of kind of outlining some of the the tonnage stuff because most of the LTL carriers tonnage uh, as of in August, at least, down. Uh, you had Sia and XPO having a growth in their uh, year-over-year tonnage reports, but that's been happening for the last since uh, at July. Um, but again, when you're looking at this from a financial uh, investment perspective, they're talking about earnings estimates, and their earnings estimates are getting revised higher because they're seeing some things are not as bad as they expected moments in the figures here. So when we're looking at end of year, because yeah. I, when I when you, you have an LTL background. When yeah. you think LTL, I'm thinking of consumer activity and I think some aspects of industrial manufacturing as well. What do you think is going to be one of the big things that they're going to be looking for in the closing of the year to really kind of be some type of saving grace? I, I mean, I think everybody's counting on the yellow situation to really be this strong capacity reduction. Mm. And even Basco Majors, who is interviewed in here, uh, works for Susquehanna, uh, cautioned that most of Yellow's roughly 300 owned and leased terminals will become operational again, <laughs> meaning that capacity is getting absorbed. Uh, but he does think, and I agree with this entirely, uh, that pricing discipline will be somewhat increased in this period of time. I mean, you don't, you can't lose the nation's third largest operator. It's a competitive unit, yeah. you know, and it's going away. So it's no longer competing for space. Also, they were a discount provider. So there's going to be some flooring of the rates here, probably. We're still seeing some uh, inflationary impact of Yellow's closure in the LTL space, but I think it's keeping it from falling with the rest of trucking, as we would have expected. So it's it's kind of like, it's a, it's a weird space of, we think it could have been worse without this in terms of the rate environment, but it's also not exploding. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and when we think about LTL, of course, it has to come from somewhere. We mm-hmm. make some stuff, but a lot of times we bring stuff in on, yeah. as you like to call it. Yeah. Boats. And boats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you like to call it boats. Boats. A good segue here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the next uh, article here, U.S. container imports still rising, topping pre-COVID levels. Now, this is Greg Miller uh, keeping us informed based on some Descartes information, um, saying that basically we haven't seen a big drop in import volumes. Mm. But he goes on to talk about, and I, I want to bring up our, our CSTEU here. This is, this is a measure of customs. Uh, 20-foot equivalent units. You can see we're nowhere near that COVID world <laughs> of import volumes, but we're actually climbing and we're, we're above sort of that pre-COVID level in, in some respect here. Now, this is a daily figure that you're looking at, so you got to keep in mind that monthly figures would look a little bit smoother, but um, we're trending higher into the end of October or into the end of September, excuse me, um, 
and it's not kind of falling back at all. So there's no big plummet. But he goes on to say in the article that the NRF has revised activity lower for the remainder of the year because they think there was a little bit of a pull forward from retailers this year because they could get capacity. They wanted to make sure they went ahead and had some inventory, you know, ready to go earlier than they would normally have done. Yeah, and we saw some some of those inventory balancing mm-hmm. acts, I think, somewhat in the LMI as well. Dr. Zach Rogers, Colorado State. Yep. Huge shout out there. Got to see him in Orlando. Amazing man. Hopefully we can get him on again right. soon. Um, but that was one of the big things that was really kind of, I think, also in limbo throughout the first part and middle part of 2023 was inventory levels, warehousing space, and really the demand that was going to be kind of pulled on and then the supply that was actually going to need to be kind of put out because we saw that was really when we started to see a really big pickup in services spending. Mm-hmm. Concerts, uh, Taylor Swift just bolstering yep. sales at concerts, Beyonce, Drake, anything and everything. And so that's one of the big things I think was really one of those I think big question marks. Now we're starting to see it kind of rectified here um, towards the latter half of the year. Yeah, and again, all of this stuff is because of COVID. Yeah, you know, because we're seeing these bounces, these moves. They're they're very relatable or related to the COVID era and all this everything that has happened before. Um, uh, One last story here, uh, and obviously this is a big one: Uh, war in Israel, the new geopolitical flashpoint for ocean shipping. And I think this is obviously going to have uh, ripple effect throughout supply chains and the world. Uh, however, for the container shippers, not as much as, say, the LNG, uh, natural gas shippers that are out there, because obviously it is in the Middle East, a uh, very oil-centric area. Uh, but it could have kind of an impact to the uh, container market in terms of the fact that a lot of that freight flows through the Suez Canal, which is at risk for closure, increasing risk for closure, uh, and more so than that, the Hormuz, uh, which is, of course, way more centralized around the uh, oil and gas shipping sector. Um, How that relates uh, to everyone that doesn't have anything to do with oil and gas shipping is the fact that it could impact the price of gas and fuel. Diesel fuel specifically uh, expected to jump, even though it hasn't thus far, if we pull up that chart. We've got our DTS figure, the retail price of fuel in white. We have the rack or wholesale price of diesel fuel uh, that moves in trucks uh, in fuchsia or pink. (laughs) And then the spread between those two is represented in green. The higher that green goes, kind of the better position the larger fleets are because they can purchase uh, based off of that pink figure and then still pass along cost based on the white uh, figure there. So it's you know, it's still a very volatile space, but this also translates into higher shipping costs domestically as that diesel price gets higher. And this is one of those things kind of also comes back to emotion because I think there's a lot of people oh, yeah. waiting to see that also there's going to be some type of reaction mm-hmm. um, just off of speculation of what will happen instead of what is happening. And so I think this is going to be one of those things where it's just going to be like, okay, we're expecting like diesel, for example, to react or we're expecting this to have a, an impact. And so I think like almost everything since COVID, there is this anticipation and then a reaction almost immediately. Yeah. And of course, this is an inflationary thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, and I'll say what you want about why this conflict is occurring or not, but just the sense that is that there is so much additional movement and volatility. Think about what I said earlier, emotion. <laughs> when the environment that you are in are is, is very volatile, humans react emotionally as a natural response. And I think that's what we're going to continue to see moving forward. And 
Uh, that's not just in, you know, kind of the ground level, like we're seeing with Hamas and in and, and Israel, but or in Ukraine with Russia, but I think also in our government involvement. Uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot. You know, what's the Fed doing? They're raising rates quickly as a response to a rapid, I would call it a recognition versus a actual rapid rise of inflation, but <laughs> a rapid recognition and rise of inflation. Now governments almost seem empowered mm -hmm. to be more active inside of their economic environments. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I think um, governments, uh, of course, Jay Powell, whenever he talks, is going to be looking at the, all the data, taking in all the data, I think is his, his tag line, right. um, <laughs> and really using that as a crutch to do anything mm -hmm. or, or really continue a course in one direction. And I think that's really where we start to see, you know, government action. And then the other side is there can be counterintuitive actions when we're looking at, okay, increased interest rates, but government spending is still very yeah. much high or, or deficit spending. And so it's just like you're, you're putting water on, you know, trying to drown the fire, but then you're also in the back just kind of rustling leaves and, and all this dry sticks and everything, really making it much more worse. So I think it's almost like two sides really working against each other at some, most, most times. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the by, this is a byproduct of the COVID world where there's a lot of money printed, <laughs> the stimulus went out, and I don't think that that was the wrong move. However, I do think that it has generated this sense of we now have the government to help us out of situations. And I was reading an interesting article in The Economist uh, that basically said that this, if we do this too much, if governments are expected to do this too much, it actually makes the markets less resilient in the long run because it removes consequence from bad actions. Yeah, And I think that's a big takeaway is like, we're asking the government to do a lot here. I think there's some warranted activity but as governments across the world, not just in the United States, are starting to take a more active role in their economic governance. Do you think that this is a, a valid statement? Yeah, and I think it's always, always difficult whenever you see, um, you, when you give government any type of control or any type of authority, um, or you have some kind of, of need for them, um, because it's hard to pull that back. Yeah. It's, and it's always easy to put it out. Mm -hmm. um, stimulus packages, it's easy to print money off, right. but it's harder to kind of, like they say, get that inflation genie back into the bottle. And so I think once you start to see, not just with stimulus packages, but with any kind of um, assistance being needed, mm -hmm. um, a lot of government programs that were supposed to be temporary have now been in place for decades. And I think that's a big aspect of it all. And I think that can really start to kind of snowball into different things. And especially when you're looking at even defense spending, when you're looking mm -hmm. at different projects being pulled up, um, if you're looking at a maybe a government project for um, some kind of, of Navy vessel or something like that, right. not needed right now, but maybe it employs a lot of people. Maybe there's a lot of funds behind it. Maybe it's propping something up. Maybe it's an awful vessel mm -hmm. and everyone knows it, but there's just so much behind it right now. And now there's just orders to kind of put it out just because it needs to have that kind of activity. And so I think we can get into these cycles, especially in the government side, where we just kind of get dependent on it and it's really not good long run. Yeah. I, I mean, you just blew a lot of places. Yeah. And, you know, the TSA uh, has been admitted <laughs> that it really doesn't have any, the, the cost certainly doesn't justify the end. Mm. It's, it's largely security theater. 
um, people are traveling more than ever, <laughs> uh, as is you know related by a, a checkpoint. I love the data that comes out of it, though. Um, you know, we we have a chart here for airline travel. We were talking about earlier how people are spending more on services. Uh, we've we've gone back. <laughs> We're yeah. all the way back in terms of TSA checkpoints. This is measuring TSA checkpoint activity across the world, uh, or I should say across the United States. And 2019, we're right in alignment. Um, and But again, this is a structure that is supportive of economic activity now. Like now we're dependent on it. And now people may not want to travel if you pull it out <laughs> yeah. because they don't feel as safe, even though the data says that this is not something so nobody politically is going to stand up and say We're, we need to pull the tsa offline yeah. <laughs> because that that's not going to win a lot of votes no and, mm -hmm. and that's the big thing i think nail right on the head there especially when we're looking at we're going into election year mm -hmm. um we're looking at departments that are just being propped up um i, I was so i had to get my passport expedited mm -hmm. not too right. long ago and i was joking with the security guard we were making conversation i was like hey so you guys you guys showing up to work uh next week he's like mm -hmm. yeah they don't shut us down because we're one of the only profitable um divisions here <laughs> and then he also kind of yeah. told me that um even if there was a shutdown, mm -hmm. that those government employees, it's almost like a delayed PTO. Yeah. So once they do return back to work or departments are back in action, mm -hmm. they get paid that back pay that they would have missed if they, as if they were still working. So um, that was just a tidbit small thing that I didn't know beforehand. Yeah. But it's just interesting to see what segments of the government are profitable, which are not needed. And it's it's not really too feasible to just peel that all There's back. There's not a lot and of oversight. <laughs> no. And, and, and again, anytime you put something into a governance, especially in a large, this happens in companies. <laughs> this isn't just government, but any large institution has a kind of a bureaucracy yeah. that keeps it from moving quickly. And when you, when you build infrastructure, that bureaucracy kind of prohibits it from being torn down. Right. <laughs> and, and good or bad, that's, that's the way it is. So you have to be really careful about what you ask for from your governing bodies Companies should be very mindful of the infrastructure that they're building because it's very hard to dig that back up. Yeah, and I think it's a great point that you make here, removing consequences from bad actions, especially yeah. when you're looking at, of course, things like student loans. Yeah. Um, and, and then the whole thing of backing and securing so much of that debt, it's it's removing the, the, the safety net and then saying, hey, you know what? No, we got you. Yeah, the bottom line is that it's, it's happening. <laughs> you have to be mindful of it. It is going to change the world moving forward as you know it. Stop looking at 2019 data. Um, <laughs> you know, I keep doing it myself as a point of reference, but I think, you know, for me, Anthony, this is just going to be the state of the world for a while. Yeah, it is. And I'm taking all.